Hey friends, welcome to the Love to Be Loved podcast. I'm your host and back pocket bestie, Amanda Lemire. Come join me as I navigate the highs and lows of life while keeping Jesus at the center of it all. We will heal and grow together, share lots of laughs, and meet some pretty cool people along the way. My hope is to never let you forget that you are so, so loved. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Love to Be Loved podcast. I can't believe we have already reached November. It's quite wild. It has been such a busy fall season so far. I've been traveling some. Work, I feel like, is getting busier. I'm going to be traveling more this month and in December. It's all good stuff, but definitely been busy. I was just thinking um, the other day about how this is my second year out of college and second season of being done playing college basketball. And I feel like this season, it's hitting me so much harder not playing. I really miss it. I miss the preseason pickup. I miss loud and energetic practices. I miss the locker room, goofing around the locker room. I miss game days. And it's just so crazy how time flies. And I'm also probably feeling this way because I got to go visit my college campus and speak at our Fellowship of Christian Athletes group. I mentioned, I'm sure, I think in a couple episodes actually, how I brought FCA to my college campus and I got to lead while I was there. So it was so sweet getting to go back and Douglas came with me. So getting to do ministry together and just walking around campus. I also got to show him my coaches and some of my old teammates. So it was an incredible time and actually leads right into what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So when Douglas and I talked at my college's huddle and also the Bucknell huddle, which was another college close by, we basically asked each other a series of questions that related to our college experience, to athletics, to our relationship with the Lord, and just overall advice we wanted to share with the student athletes that we were talking to. I loved answering these questions and I felt like our answers were very impactful to them. So I thought it would be a good idea to just answer those questions on this podcast. I'm going to break this up into two different episodes. So the first episode is going to be the first five questions and then the next episode will be the next five questions. So I hope that sounds interesting to you. I feel like these questions touch on a lot of different topics that could benefit all sorts of people, whether or not you are in college or out of college or whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. I feel like these questions did lead to some great insight and biblical guidance, so I wanted to share. Let's get rolling. So the first question was, knowing what you know now, what is something you wish you did differently during your time in college? And these questions were fun to answer because it made me really reflect back to my time in college and just the difference between that time and what's going on in my life and in my heart and my relationship with the Lord now. So as a general answer to this question, I feel like I spent a lot of time in college doing things that left me feeling empty and unsatisfied and then also not leaving any sort of impact. Four years flies. Like even two years out of college has flown by, has flown by, but four years in college goes by quickly, and I wish I valued my time more wisely. Ephesians five fifteen and sixteen says, "Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I wasn't very careful with my time in college. I spent a lot of time doing a whole lot of nothing. And I think about how I could have been more involved in ministry during that time. I could have focused on building and watering Christ-centered relationships, more time serving others. I could have used this this time, the free time that I had to start the podcast that I started. And yes, I'm so thankful that the Lord did use me to leave an impact through FCA and through my time working in admissions and through playing basketball. I just also know the amount of time I wasted going out on the weekends, engaging in dumb conversations and just making dumb decisions that in those moments they could have been used more purposefully. And yes, I know the Lord used those moments to grow me and refine me and um, show me that a life not with him is not one that's going to fulfill me and fill my cup. But I just know that my time could have been used so much better. And I think it was just a lot of selfish thinking where I was just concerned in college about what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, what's going to make me happy in the moment, even if it's not going to satisfy me long term. So if I could do it all again, I would really consider what my priorities were, what my values were, what goals did I desire to achieve, what was the Lord commanding me to do in that time and in that season. And then based off of that, I could have determined what would have been the best use of my time. I read a quote recently that said, you can tell a lot about a person by the way that they spend their time. So if my main priorities are the Lord, number one, my health, and maybe relationships or deep friendships, my significant other family relationships, then my time should have reflected those priorities. So looking back, based on how I spent my time, it looked like my priorities were one, my boyfriend at the time, two, people pleasing and trying to fit in, and three, things that left me with immediate gratification. So none of those satisfied my soul and amounted to making an impact whatsoever. I can even specifically break this question down into segments and approach it from different areas that I invested my time in in college and how I would have done things differently in each of those segments. So athletics being a huge one, there are just so many things I would have done differently. And I talk a lot about this um, throughout different episodes because I just spent so much time in athletics, but I would have actually listened to my body and not pushed it to the extreme that I did. I know for a fact that I would have not been playing in pain if I would have done that. I would have gotten to enjoy more of my basketball career instead of just trying to survive. I wish I would have listened to my trainers and my coaches instead of believing these lies in my head that I wasn't doing enough and that I was soft, I wasn't pushing myself, and that I could overcome the pain that I was feeling. My advice for athletes out there who think that maybe your worth is in your performance, well, it's not. (laughs) So whether you're the best athlete or the worst athlete, the Lord loves you the same and you just have nothing to prove. And I wish I would have actually believed that. I think it would have changed my four years of playing basketball for sure. Then with ministry or FCA, I would have invested a lot more of my time into discipling others in finding Christian community or just creating an environment for Christian community and like really watering our FCA group. I would have gotten more involved in a church family and and not just made that like a Sunday check it off the box kind of thing. I also 
would have wanted to be more aware of the fact that I was an ambassador for Christ, that I was called to live a life that looks different and that my actions did in fact matter. I wish I would have focused more on living out the things that I was actually speaking about. With friendships or relationships, I would have invested a lot more of my time into building Christ-centered friendships or even just being more intentional with the friends and the teammates that I had at the time, like getting to know them on a deeper level, getting to know their heart and not having every relationship with my teammates or friends or even coaches being surface level. Like I wish I would have really gotten to know people's hearts. I wish I would have known that I can't rely on those friendships or that relationship to provide me with the security, the love, the intention that I wanted and that I wish I wish I would have known or truly understood that there's only one who can provide that love and that peace and that attention that I desired and that was the Lord, that is the Lord. I wish I spent more time being filled up by the love of Christ and less time looking for that love in another person. So yeah, there's quite a bit of things I wish I would have done differently, but again, I know the Lord uses all things for good and I'm so thankful for my time in college. It it was a great experience and I don't want to dwell on the mistakes that I made or feel guilty that maybe I didn't use my time as wisely as I could, but I also think it's really good to reflect so that I can learn and I can grow and I can just compare how I was living in college to how I'm living now and just seeing the difference and just seeing how the Lord is conforming me more into his image now and um, showing me that he really is my true source of satisfaction. So yeah, those are some things that I wish I would have known and done differently while I was in college. The next question is, what does it actually look like to live set apart in college? What does it look like to pick up your cross and follow Jesus in a college setting? I really love this question because picking up your cross and following Jesus is a literal command. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But that verse can be really, I don't know, difficult to understand how to practically do that. Like, what does it look like to deny yourselves? The verse that follows this command and um, like the next verse after says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. With that verse, what does it mean to lose my life in order to find it? Well, let's first start with the idea of living set apart. Because I feel like having an understanding for living set apart will help provide clarity to what it means to lose our life in order to find it. Living set apart is really just living in accordance with the ways of the word of God. Like I mentioned in the other question, we are Christ's ambassadors. As children of God, what we do reflects our heavenly father. Just like your family, right? Like what I do, the choices that I make reflect my last name, reflect my family. And it's the same thing for us as God's children. We are told to represent or represent Jesus while we are here on this earth. So Jesus came, he walked the earth, he lived a certain way. We want to be living the same way Jesus did, which is all written out. It's all shown. It's all explained throughout scripture. So it's not like we have to just guess what living set apart means. It means that we can go to scripture, see how Jesus lived and follow that example. And that's why it's so important to be getting in the word. What's crazy though, is that since 
our identity was already given to us at the beginning of time, our identity um, as sons and daughters of the Lord, as being chosen as his. Living set apart is really just living the way we were always intended to live. It's walking out our identity. Living by the ways of the world and fitting in and doing what everyone else is doing is actually going against how we were designed to live. That's why living that way leads to constant disappointment and dissatisfaction. We were never created for striving. We were never created to be the God of our life. We were never created to find lasting and complete contentment in anything other than Jesus Christ. So speaking practically, then what does it look like to live set apart in college? It looks like going against the grain. It looks like stepping away from situations that could lead you into temptation. It looks like serving others and putting their needs before your own. It looks like loving when it's hard to love and forgiving when it's hard to forgive. It looks like speaking words of life instead of complaining and negativity. It looks like being aware of maybe what you're looking at, what you're listening to. It looks like having the courage to stand firm in your beliefs even when you're getting pushback and criticism for it. And I feel like these things, these ways of living are just even more challenging in a college environment because it does feel like you're getting so much more pushback, so much more judgment. I feel like for me, college was the most tempting environment to make decisions that were very dishonoring to the Lord. College feels like the introduction to the show, The Chosen, where I don't know if you've watched, but where all the dark fish are swimming in the same direction and then you're the one bright fish that's swimming opposite of all the dark fish. That's literally what college feels like. Denying yourself is really just letting go of your own selfish desires and choosing to seek the desires that God has for your life. That self-denial is what is quote-unquote losing your life for Jesus. And then what does Jesus say for those who lose their life for him? Well, they will find it. Meaning that once we surrender our own selfish desires, once we put those to death, then the Lord is going to provide us with true abundant life that can only be found in him. So just know that living in this way, complete surrender, dying of the flesh, and living by the Spirit breeds total satisfaction. Stop drinking the water that makes you constantly thirsty and instead drink the living water that results in never thirsting again. Third question, what does humility look like in our walk with the Lord and why is it vital in athletics? So humility is a concept that I've been learning a lot about in just seeing more and more the importance of it. Humility really is an overarching concept that kind of brings together all the fruits of the Spirit. It's the way Jesus was described in Scripture as meek and lowly. It's also what the Lord wants us to walk in. Plus, if we know that the Lord hates pride, which it says in Proverbs 16:5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. So if he hates pride, just imagine how much he loves humility. Philippians 2 does a great job at explaining what humility looks like. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Humility is realizing that life is not all about you. And that is a tough pill to swallow, let me tell you. (laughs) It's seeing the way Jesus went beneath us to lift us up and then us doing the same for others. Humility has an others first mentality. I love how Philippians 2 also goes into depth about the humility of Jesus. Paul writes, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So while Jesus has every reason to be prideful, I mean, he was 100% God, 100% perfect, he was willing to take on all the hardships and the pain and temptations that humans face, yet not sin once, and then die in our place so that we could be free when we don't deserve freedom at all. So I see that description of Jesus, and I want to live like that. In humility, Jesus put our needs first, and we are able to live that out with our relationships with one another. There's also such thing as false humility, and this is something I feel like I tend to struggle with. False humility is devaluing yourself, thinking that you deserve punishment and not fully accepting the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross. So examples of false humility include putting yourself down or downplaying your successes, downplaying your abilities or achievements, not able to accept praise when you're deserving of it, self-loathing or self-deprecation. These are all ways in which pride can also appear. So where is that perfect um, humility coming to play where it's not prideful and like thinking you're the greatest ever and it's not false humility where you're devaluing yourself? It's that middle ground where you can appreciate your God-given gifts and talents, acknowledge it's not by your own efforts, and then not thinking of yourself higher than another. The next part of this question is why is it vital in athletics? And I know that not everyone listening to this podcast is an athlete, but the group that we spoke to at Susquehanna and, and um, Bucknell, they were all athletes. So this was a very relatable question for them to listen to. So while we were at my college, a question was asked to Doug about like, what would you want your team to be known for? So some of the guys, when he was having that conversation, talked about like grit or discipline or whatever. I don't really remember what they said, but I was thinking about that question and was thinking about how I would answer that question. Immediately, I thought I would want to be known for being on a team that's selfless. And I just want to relate this to basketball terms because that's just easier for me to grasp and easier for me to talk about. But a team made up of five players stepping on a court all with the intent to make one another look good and to serve one another is going to lead to the most success. Teams that I have been on where there are players who are only concerned about their own stats, their own performances, always led to a mediocre team. And maybe the talent was actually there, but the self-centeredness caused absolute destruction to the team as a whole. So what if each player walked in humility, knowing their strengths and weaknesses and gifts that are brought to the table, but not counting themselves as more or less valuable than someone else, and just constantly seeking ways to serve, ways to grow, and ways to build up the rest of the team. That's guaranteed to lead to success. And maybe that success doesn't look like wins or championships, but it will 100% breed growth and character development and just overall enjoyment. It's so easy for an athlete to get prideful you know, when you're the stud on the team, you are receiving special attention from the coaches and the athletic directors and everyone cares about the status of your health. Everyone makes sure that you get everything you need. You get constant praise about your great performances and um, people are just constantly being like, we need you, we need you. That can easily make you feel very puffed up and like you're the greatest human being to ever live. 
Proverbs 27, 21, it's such a great verse. And it says that people are tested by their praise. A humbled heart isn't concerned about their self. A humbled heart isn't swayed by the praise of others. A humbled heart will be crowned with victory. Like it says in Psalm 149, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. So humility is what we should chase after in all aspects of our life. In athletics, I think it leads to the most fulfillment and most success, but also just in life, valuing others' needs above ourselves in going beneath people to lift them up into their um, God-given identity. The fourth question is, what is a lie that you were believing in college and what truth did you use to combat that lie? I said this in a previous question I answered before on this episode about how I would believe this lie that I was never doing enough or just never enough in general. Douglas and I have had this conversation a lot and how we see it as a common lie among people just in general is that they believe they aren't good enough or just believe they aren't enough, whether that may be in your career thinking you aren't capable of doing your job well, you aren't making enough money, maybe in sports you think you aren't scoring enough, in a relationship just thinking you aren't pretty enough or handsome enough or funny enough or just good enough for your significant other. It's all nonsense and it's all a lie that can be warped and manipulated in a way by the devil that just makes it seem so real and so true. I get it because it's still a battle for me. But the first step to winning this battle is to know you're in a war to begin with. God is so real and the devil, Satan, he's also very real. So we take part in a battle of spiritual warfare each and every single day. John 8.44 describes Satan when it says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we have that side. Then we have our side of the war. Our commander, our leader is the Lord and he's speaking truth. So there's this constant contrast of light and darkness happening at all times. But if you know, if you don't know this, then it's hard to be prepared to fight. In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about this spiritual warfare and then encourages us to equip and protect ourselves by putting on the full armor of God. Paul writes, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This battle is not against flesh. This is not a battle between me and my boss. This is not a battle between me and coaches, me and my significant other, me and my parents. This is a battle between the truth of God's word and the lies that come from Satan. So by knowing that we are in this, we can take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, like it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. So how do we combat these lies? Well, we proclaim truth. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert. And how did he combat the enemy's lies and manipulation? He spoke truth. There's such power in proclamation. God created the world and everything in it by speaking it into existence. So the best way to combat lies is by speaking truth. Take my lie, for example, one that I'm sure you probably struggle with, that you're not doing enough. To combat that, I would speak Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. You could speak Psalm 46, cease striving and know that I am God. If I, maybe I'm believing I'm not good enough, I could proclaim 
1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's how you demolish lies. One, by being aware that they are lies, and then two, replacing them with truth and with what God says about you. For me, this really helps me move past self-pity and just not thinking great about myself because I know that when I'm feeling bad about myself and I speak poorly about myself, Satan is winning. And if you know me, you know I'm a pretty competitive person and I really hate losing. So there's no way in heck I'm losing to Satan. And I'm honestly just happy I'm speaking this now because it's such an encouragement and motivation to me to be like, all right, everything I say that is not life-giving, that's a point for the devil. And once again, I'm not losing this battle. Okay, and the final question for this episode is, what is fear of man and how is that detrimental to your walk with the Lord? So fear of man, also known as people-pleasing, it's caring more about the opinions of others and what others think about you than the opinions of God. This is a struggle, but man, it's, it's so important to work through this. Fear of man is such a stronghold. It's thinking, oh, I don't want so-and-so to think I'm weird. I don't want to look like a fool. I want to fit in. I don't want to upset her or him if I choose a different path. I don't want to be an outsider. Fear of man is the biggest culprit for keeping us from being obedient, from being bold for the Lord. And it can keep us from letting the Lord use us to do some pretty amazing things. Fear of man keeps us from experiencing genuine freedom. In Galatians 1.10, Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For some background on this verse, the Galatian church struggled a lot with being easily influenced or easily led astray by false teaching. At the time when Paul was writing this letter, the Galatians were being misled by the Judaizers who believed that salvation required keeping the law and believing in Jesus, while the true gospel is that by grace through faith, you have been saved, not based on anything that you've done. It's not Jesus plus anything. So in the beginning of this letter, Paul's explaining how with anything that he is saying, his intent is to serve and please the Lord. He has an audience of one. His words are straight revelation from Jesus Christ, and he's not trying to manipulate truth so that it fits well into his audience or changing it so that maybe his words would be better well-received. No, Paul fears the Lord, and he even tells us quite bluntly that you can't serve God and people, please. It's one or the other. You're either a servant of Christ or a slave to the opinions of others. So why is people-pleasing detrimental to our work with the Lord? Well, it puts our priorities really out of whack. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then how is love proven? By obedience. Luke 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Okay, so if we're caring about people pleasing, we aren't going to choose obedience. We are going to be led astray by conforming to imperfect humans. If you follow something imperfect, that's what you become. So if we are conforming to imperfect people, then we aren't being conformed into the likeness of God. And if we aren't walking in his ways, then we aren't experiencing fullness of joy and abundant life that he promises. We aren't experiencing the beautiful intimacy that we could be experiencing if our eyes were totally locked on his. 
So once again, like I mentioned about the lies, the enemy loves to pollute our minds with worries about what other people may think because he knows that that's going to keep you from obedience. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. (laughs) Actually, this is a very uncomfortable habit to break, especially with social media, constant comparison. It's hard not to care what other people think. We like comfortable. We like not ruffling feathers. And I get it because I feel like this in my own life a lot, maybe with with work, like not wanting my coworkers to think I'm weird. I do it with evangelism, not wanting to share the gospel, which is we know the greatest news ever for fear of how someone may react to it. It's challenging to break, but the best part about doing life with Jesus is that he will help you break through this fear. Perfect love drives out fear. So when you have fear, it's a reminder to get back to remembering the perfect love that God has. I also know that asking the Lord for strength in this is huge. Just the other day, I heard the Lord telling me to pray over this girl I had just met. And I was in a group setting and I was wrestling with it a lot because I didn't want it to be awkward or embarrassing. And I was like, oh, I feel like somebody else can do this. But I asked the Lord and said, like, all right, I, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you really loud and clear. And if it's what you want, you need to give me boldness and the opportunity to do it and the words to say. And guess what? He did. And in that moment, it felt so effortless because I wasn't trying to break this fear with my own strength. I was trusting that the Lord would help me out. And while this is just one small moment that I was obedient and overcame fear, that moment is a reminder that I don't need to be concerned about how someone may react. That fear keeps me from seeing big miracles and from sharing the love of Christ, which could absolutely transform someone's life. That fear of man is keeping me from being a part of what God wants to do on this earth. And I want to be used. I want to be included in Christ's demonstration of his power. And trust me, I am still wrestling with this, but I'm definitely, or I've definitely seen the negative effects of people pleasing and how it affects my own relationship with Jesus. All right, so that wraps up part one of this episode on answering some fun questions. There are five more questions that I'm excited to answer, which will be part two. So thank you for listening. I hope as always that this podcast episode was life-giving to you, maybe encouraged you in areas that you needed encouragement in or lit a fire in areas that you may need to grow in. This journey with the Lord is a lifelong process of learning and growing. And thankfully the Lord is so gentle and gracious as he plucks out the weeds in our hearts. Praying that you experience fullness of the Father's love for you today, wherever you are and through whatever you might be doing. I love you all very much and I'll talk to you soon.